This is Uncommonly Remarkable, where we discuss the surprising everyday lives and notable accomplishments of community leaders, entrepreneurs, and everyday folks like you and me. My name is Artis Beatty. I am a doctor of optometry and the chief medical officer for My Eye Doctor OD. Though we will inevitably touch on topics within my area of expertise, the opinions and the conversations held here are separate from my work with My Eye Doctor. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Uncommonly Remarkable. Today's guest describes himself as creative, solution-driven, entrepreneurial, and maybe an overthinker. He is the founder and owner of Fraser Home Design, a company specializing in high-end residential design and is dedicated to creating unique homes that are tailored to the client's life. We expect to learn about sketching, architecture, entrepreneurship, and maybe a little bit about music, the guitar, determination, and much, much more. Everyone, please welcome my friend Tony Frazier to Uncommonly Remarkable. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. I am really excited to talk to you because I, I have to tell you, the skills that I've seen you demonstrate are just amazing to me. And so to really get to have a conversation about some of the things you do is just very, very exciting to me. And I've been looking forward to it for a I'm long time. I'm humbled by that. Appreciate it. Oh, man. Excited I, to be here. I was psyched when you said you'd come, you'd come and have a conversation. Nice. I was so nervous. I was like, can I ask Tony? If I ask him, will he come? Is he going to say, this is crazy? No, I won't go. It's super so. intimidating. You know? <laughs> I get it. Yes, yes, definitely Whatever. you are. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so, you know, I, I got to start by maybe getting you to describe to folks a little bit about what you do. Um, because if I start talking about it, I'm going to go on forever, and I'm never going to get it exactly right. Yeah. So I, I don't know that I will as well, but let, let's see what happens here. So I own a small residential design company that's based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, 50% of our work, or more than 50% of our work at this point, is out of state. And, and I like to consider us a, a boutique design firm that, you know, concentrates a lot more on on the homeowner's lifestyle the way that you know they live the way they move around a space and you know concentrating on how they want to relax in a space or how they entertain in a space and essentially we design a home for clients that that also encapsulate the way that you know not only the way they live but also their sight i.e. The, the way the sun comes across and how, how do I block the harshest light of the day? How do I let in the best light of the day? How does it work with the topography and the views? And sometimes I want to block some views, right? So mm-hmm. it, we try to just do a super intentional design that shapes the homeowner's life and hopefully improves it in some way when they live in the space. I think that holistic approach is what's very interesting to me. Um, I think when we first met and we started talking about design for this home, um, one of the things you talked about is, well, we gotta, we, we really can't do this piece until we figure out where the house is going to be, right? And that you wanted to understand how it was going to be oriented um, on the lot. And I, I, I thought at the time, what does that matter, right. right? And ultimately, having seen the entire process and now being here, I completely understand why that's important. It's now strange that that's not always a consideration right. when people right. um, are building a home. And that's the way I feel, you know, people, th- there are companies out there, as you know, that just kind of sell plans off the shelf. And there's builders that just build plans off the shelf. And 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 we, we've done that. And that's a great business. But, but really, it, it doesn't, it, the house isn't the best that it could be. It doesn't live the best that it could because it's just 
you know, not even really cherry pick, but picked and kind of set on the lot. And it doesn't take in all those items that I mentioned. So I, I think that it's, you know, when clients come to us and they're like, hey, can I just buy a plan and put it on the lot? I'm like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't really work like that. It, and I always say, like, really, we're, we're going to talk about the way you live. We're going to look at your site. We're going to think about all those things that I mentioned earlier. And once I start looking at the topography in the sun, it almost starts to draw itself. Like, I want the garage here. I don't want to see over there. And, and mm-hmm. you want, here are your parameters. Here's your budget. And then it kind of, like, draws itself. So when a client does come and say, hey, I really want you to design us a house, but we don't have land Mm-hmm. Yet we, we don't touch it. You yeah. have to have the land. I always say that the, the three things that I absolutely need, I need the client and their wish list and, again, the way they live. I need the land and I need their budget. And, yeah. and we bring up those things in every single meeting, every single time. Like I, you can't draw the house without the land or, or certainly I wouldn't draw it without the client. And I also wouldn't draw it without the budget, which, which gets us into trouble fast when people get into dreamland and start going nuts and like, oh. I didn't think about it. I'll just bid it out at the end. No big deal. <laughs> right. And then you bid it out to three builders and it's 500 grand with every builder. So one of the things that you, you just mentioned it, and it was one of the things that we talked about um, early on in our process was a potential client comes to you and says, hey, do you have a plan for sale? Right. You go, no, we don't. We don't do that. So is it often that people come find you and say, hey, is that something you can provide for me? Yeah. I mean, once we made an online presence that started to happen, initially we built our business with with builders, right? So builders would come to us and and they would do just that. Hey, do you have anything? And and they aren't emotionally attached. They don't, they're just trying to, you know, make money, right? So so they would sometimes bring us pre-sales, a lot of times want to buy something. And then once our name got out there, we would get a lot of calls that were were similar. But but as we built up and started to develop a following, then clients would reach out and be like, hey, I want you guys to do something very like special and unique for us. And I don't want that repeated. I don't want you to like sell that plan to somebody else. Like I want a very unique, special thing that that fits our family and fits our lifestyle. When you first began the company, so let's, let's go backwards just a little bit. So when was uh, Frasier Home Design started? It was started in 2007. Okay. Right before the recession. Great Adam, timing. Adam, it was perfect. It actually was in hindsight. <laughs> it didn't feel like it at the time, but it was started in 2007. And you know, I was working at an engineering firm. I held up like, or I started an architectural division within an engineering firm. And one day got the courage to start my own thing in April of 2007. And day one, I, I sat down and I went through the HBA or the Home Builders Association list or the directory of all the builders. And I wrote down everybody's name and sent out mailers, this little flyer that, okay, I, that yeah. I made myself, you know, and printed out <laughs> at Kinko's or whatever, and then mailed it to 500 builders or something. And I got back, I don't know, 20 or 30 you know, okay. that's, leads, that's which not is, bad. it was pretty awesome. Yeah. So, so like day one, it just kind of went nuts. And then, you know, beginning of 08, I think, uh, you know, it started started to fall off a little bit. And then suddenly, I remember I got a call from one of my builders and he said, hey, man, the, the bank's not going to let me do any more specs. And this is a big, reputable builder. He said, the bank won't let me do any specs. And the pre-sales are few and far between. And the ones that we do get, they have to have really, really good credit. Mm-hmm. And it was around that time, I remember it was like a faucet that turned, I mean, it was flooding in and then it then it just turned off. So that was the beginning of the company, which is great. <laughs> and and then, you know, from there, we kind of trickled in. Well, I'll say first, it disappeared, right? Okay. And and I, I say this all the time, but I was like hitting send receive 
on my email, refresh <laughs> on my email over. <laughs> there would be days I'd be like, I'm going to get an email today. I, I know it. I'm definitely going to get an email today. Like, no, wow. it didn't happen. And so there'd be like, you know, three or four days without any contact. So it got a little scary. And about the time that I was about to like send out resumes, I got a call from a builder um, that was a production builder that was just, or a local production builder that was just starting out. So they just okay. heard of me and word of mouth. And I went out and got it. And then, you know, that started to pick up steam. And then a few months later, another production builder and then another. So really the, the company was founded kind of in this production mindset. Um, production meaning that, you know, they would have a neighborhood with 150 houses and they would say, I want you to develop six houses and have like four exteriors each. Mm-hmm. And, and then they would just repeat that. Exactly what we were saying mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. They put that on whatever lot. It, yeah. it didn't matter. Whatever it fit on. And so that's how it was kind of founded. And then later on is when it kind of started to go down the the line of more, you know, custom and thoughtful design. And and I think um, most people are familiar with that part, that type of process, right? Because, you know, when you, when you maybe buy your first home, you're thinking, maybe I'm going to get a condo, maybe I'm going to get a townhouse. Um, you may move into a neighborhood and, you know, you, then you learn about the word elevation and yeah. um, and then and the difference between elevation and floor plan. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting the first time you actually realize that there may be four different looking houses that have nearly the exact same floor plan. And it's really hard to understand how the house on the outside can look so different while the interior (laughs) portion of the house can be almost identical. Right, right. And and it's funny, even now I do that because we get clients that are like, you know, I kind of like this style and I like this style or the husband and wife like different styles. And I'm like, let me, let me show you something. So I'll just like <laughs> sketch real fast. We're like, here's three different styles you can have on the same exterior. And yes, you, you know, you're jogging things in and out, but it's, yeah. the floor plan's the same. But in a perfect world where I'm getting that vibe of the, of the exterior very early on. So I'm like shaping the floor plan, not only around the site, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and, and all the other things, but also around the proportions and the scale of what we're trying to achieve on the outside. Like your house, for example, mm-hmm. being symmetrical, like we had to know that in the beginning. We had to know what style you're going with and develop it around that because I wouldn't choose to do certain things to, to go against that direction. Then you had you had this 2007, 2008 period where we're waiting for the faucet to come back on, right. uh, kind of a drip at a time. You find um, this builder who's like, hey, we're going to do a whole bunch of houses. You kind of configure them yeah. uh, to be able to put them in the neighborhood. How did you go from that? Because in a lot of people's worlds, like once you start to do that, there's going to be lots of other opportunity to continue to do that. So how did you go from doing that back to what you really intended to do? So I think the the core of the whole reason that I start is I'm I'm an artist in the end, right? And mm-hmm. there's not a ton of artistry to that business model. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the whole reason I got into it to begin with. I was just somebody who could draw that kind of stumbled into architecture because I could draw all day, right? Mm-hmm. And and then so at the core of that, I always wanted to get back to something artistic. And I and I remember it clear as day. It was uh a neighborhood called Oaks at Fallon Park, and I saw this builder, Dixon Kirby. And and they, like, man, when, when I saw their houses, like, the detail was on point. It was – the shapes were different than what I've seen, but they were, like, perfectly proportioned. And mm-hmm. everything was done very intentionally. And I remember just being, like, blown away. Like, man, that is, like, nothing that I've seen in Raleigh at all. And it just got me, like, my creative juices going. Like, man, I, that's what I want to do. 
right there. Like I want to evoke this emotion that I'm feeling right yeah. now, you know? So I uh, started off at first. I, I kind of like dug deep, like where, where's he getting, where did he, how do he figure that out? So I did this, I hate to admit this on a podcast. I just went <laughs> on his Facebook page and saw who he was following and then started to pick up these architects. And then it really went down this rabbit hole. It's like, I found Bobby McAlpin, who was like, in my mind, sort of like the, the king of this architectural movement who taught at Auburn University. Okay. And he had a lot of students that he would hire. And then it was this group of guys from essentially, you know, Auburn, but then really like Birmingham and um, Montgomery, Alabama, that, that were in this group under Bobby McAlpin. And then they kind of spread throughout the country. And I noticed that that those guys were were, in my mind, sort of like the king of the current architects, all of them, you know, and they, again, they spread throughout the country. So I started following all those guys. And then I started, you know, I'd read like every book or every interview, every podcast with them mm -hmm. on it. And then I would find out who what their inspiration came from, which essentially a lot of it rooted in English arts and crafts architecture. And so I, I like dove deep into that and, and essentially just, you know, just kept buying books and again, reading or listening to podcasts uh -huh. and just diving in deep. Then the big movement for me is like, all right, let me let me try this stuff. Uh -huh. So I, I would pitch this to builders at the time. It wasn't homeowners. Like I, I had builders, so uh, I'd start pitching it okay. to them and they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, man, look what Dixon Kirby's doing. Like they're killing it, man. Like, and look at it. Look how much better it is than what everybody else is doing. And I had one builder that I was able to convince. Mm -hmm. And then that, you know, I think that was 2006, I feel like. So that's mm -hmm. a, or no, I'm sorry. It was 2016. Okay. So 2016, Essentially, um, I had that first house out there, and then it started to get attention. Then other builders were like, oh, well, he did it too. Then maybe I should do that. And then it just started to build momentum very, very quickly. I see. Yeah. And and that's the local movement. That, that right. was, you know, then, then that's when everybody started coming to us for that, that feel and that vibe. And it wasn't until later that it became more of a national sort of presence. That's actually, that's really amazing. You know, you, you said um, that, um, something I think is interesting that you're you're an artist kind of first. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, what were you drawing before? What did you have a passion for drawing something prior to homes? Well, so I, you know, I started drawing homes at 19. So really, before that, it was <laughs> really before that it was you know cartoon characters and skateboard ramps and you know Bart Simpson and uh, album covers were a big thing. Like in my teens, or just you know music stuff in in general. I was mm -hmm. really into. Um, I don't know. I would go through like you know all all the guitar magazines and like like just sort of like draw a lot of the stuff that was in there. I was I always drew. So that was I was in class. I was. I was drawing, you know, it was always, <laughs> and, 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 you know, in school, there's like always a group of kids that are like the best artists. I was, I wasn't at the top of that list ever, but I felt like I was always in it, you know? So yeah. it was like these, these little, not that we hung out, but you knew that there's like four or five guys that are the best, you know, artists in school. Anyways, I was, I felt like I was always somewhere hovering towards that group anyways. <laughs> uh, so it was a big thing for me. And that, that's how it kind of started. And my, my grandfather was a civil engineer and he taught at oh. Wake Tech and he was retired and so when he retired, he taught at Wake Tech and taught, taught architectural history and statics and strengths and material. So, and my dad um, was a tile guy and my brother who's seven years older was in construction. So oh, it just okay. kind of like started to form and I'm like, yeah, I guess, I don't know what else I'm gonna do. So I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll go to Wake Tech and go into architecture. And the, and the idea at the time was to transfer to the School of Design and um, started going to Wake Tech and, and loved it. 
Like uh-huh. I, I ate it up, man. I, I got in there. I was like, dude, this is awesome. Like look, creating all these spaces, just so fun. And I, and really I liked at the time we were learning CAD on the computer. And I really liked that too. Like it was, it was kind of fun. It was like a video game or yeah, something. For sure. And so, man, I, I really, I dove in and when everybody was at lunch, I was in the library reading books or jumping into CAD and I wanted to, I wanted to be better. Like I wanted to, I was like, I'm going to come back to class and be better than everybody. And I just kept like doing that and Incredible. pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I started interning, I think my second semester at a local architectural firm. And um, I did that for, I feel like six months or something. And and then it was like time to go to the next semester. And I remember being like all caught up in the deadlines of the and the stress, the fun stress of the whole thing. And me being like scared to tell my boss that I was going to go back to school. And I just, I just never... I never did. So, <laughs> so I just, so I just like kept working. And he's like, are you going back to school? I'm like, no, nah, man, I, I'm here, no. buddy. I'm here. And it was around that age that I also found out like, wait, you don't need to go to state or to get like the full architectural degree to draw houses. Ah, okay. I'm like, oh, it, I, I regret that. But at 19 years old, man, it's like, that's pretty cool. You Particularly know? if you're doing do it right something now. you want to do, right? Right. Yeah. That, right. I mean, I, I think I think that there's a lot to be said for that, right? When you find what it is that you're you're at, you're you want to do, but that you're also good at it. And so there's that intersection of I like it, and I'm good at it. And if you can make that intersection actually work, right. then you're in a really good spot. A lot of people can't do that. And I touched on it earlier, but for some reason, I love the feel of the deadlines. Like I love the pressure. I, I don't know why, but I just ate it up. Like it felt good to me to live in that stress and that tension. Like I wanted more of that. I didn't feel good if I didn't, like on the weekends, I'd be like, man, I can't wait to go back in there and, and just grind. Like I wow. just wanted that. You just, you must have abnormally low cortisol levels. I got something that's going got, on. That's got to sure. be what it is. It's got to be <laughs> yeah. what it is. Tell me a little bit about the the differences though between draftsmen architects and engineers and kind of how they all work together because yeah. you know as I was thinking about this I there are lots of uh, industry specific things that unless you kind of know detail you just don't yeah. know what those differences are so I'll start with engineering um, engineering is broken up into several different facets I mean there's you know surveying which is a piece of engineering and then there's civil engineering the, the engineers that we deal with most of the time are structural engineers meaning that we design the entire home, and you remember, you may remember this in your process. We design the entire home, and we get towards the end, and then we pass it off to a structural engineer who designs all the framing. He mm-hmm. says, okay, there will be a beam over this opening, and this is how big that beam is. And so he does all the framing and, and, and the foundation, and he sends it back to us, and then we cross-reference that with our, with our details okay. and, and make sure that we all align, and essentially they have a set that they seal from a structural perspective and they give that to us and then we combine those two and then you go to the permit office. And in most areas of the country, you need that structural engineer's set. Okay. And then I'll go to architect. So a registered architect has a license to practice architecture, which you need for commercial spaces. And in some places in the country, you need for residential, but most not. So we've come across a few areas in the country, Chicago, areas in New York and actually some areas like in South Carolina as well that they require an architect's seal. But everywhere else in the country, you can draw without it. Okay. But back to an architect. So so they have their license and you need a license to do anything commercial at okay. all, you know, churches and schools and things like that. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And and they, you know, they go in, you know, have a, a 
they they go five years, and a lot of them get a master's as well, and um, they have to work under architect for a certain amount of time, and they they have classes and updates that they need to take, and they they have a seal where they can seal the plan, um, and then we have home designers that do nothing but concentrate on designing residential. So the good slash the bad is you don't really need any school at all or any education to say, hey, I draw houses. You mean draw your house? You know. So so that's that's the the not an issue, but I mean really same thing with architects. Like I see some guys with a license that that probably shouldn't be drawing houses or have a long ways to go before they get you know to a sure. certain level, right? So you have home designers, you have architects, you have engineers. And within the realm of home designers, you mentioned drafters mm-hmm. earlier. Is like within our company, we have designers and project managers and drafters. Okay. And in my mind, a drafter, um, or at least our drafters at, at Fraser Home Design, all they do all day is really they do cross sections and details and notation. And they're just it's a great way to start somebody out at the company. So that that's how we pull I people see. right out of school that that haven't really worked in the industry at all, other than maybe an internship for a brief period of time. And they come in and day one, they might dimension a plan and put notes on a plan and just start off and just dipping their toe in. Yeah, I see. So you have a project manager that's kind of leading it all. And then the, the draftsman is sort of assisting them. And I so see. we may have okay. some small markups and they jump in and do that as well. And then they kind of build up in theory to project manager and designer. and Or sometimes they just kind of go a whole different direction that we didn't know. I see. So when you're thinking about um, the um, the architect versus engineering do architects tend to rely on engineers for that piece, or do they do some of that work themselves? I have heard in rare cases of the architects also doing their own structural, but generally from what I've seen, it's they always use a structural engineer as well. But in theory, they can seal. like They could do their full mm, structural set and, and seal, seal it, it. as okay. well. What happens in the process if you draw something that is phenomenal? Mm-hmm. And you send it to engineering, and do they ever come back and say, "We're going to have to change this design for whatever reason because we can't figure out a good way to engineer and keep the aesthetic"? Luckily, we're past that point, and and I, I I didn't really mention it or get into it, but I worked at a structural engineering firm for for four years, and then you okay. know, so so I have a so you've got a, a better super idea. familiar, but but yeah, I mean, there are times where the engineers like, "Hey, you're that's really cool. It can work." But here's what we're gonna have to do to make that work. I and see. but but it's rare that we have like, hey, that just doesn't work at all. But but they do, you know, there's definitely coordination. We, we send them their plans and when they design the framing, again, sometimes they come back with feedback or sometimes they send something our way and I'm like, hey man, that beam doesn't really work with that roof. Like I, I've got to pull that beam back and and cut it and go with a smaller joist to tie into the rafter or something. You know, there's definite coordination where I think when I when I first started early mm-hmm. in my career, it was kind of like a handoff and see you later. Let me know when you seal it. And, and that was <laughs> in the production days. Yeah. Like you didn't really like cross reference it. But you get in the field and sometimes the, the builder would be like, man, the engineer set says this and yours says that. Which, <laughs> which one should I pick? It's not ideal. Wow. We learned as we've gone here. So I think that you you describe to clients that you you have a process. It's uh, four or five steps, right? Mm-hmm. So why don't you walk us through a little bit of how that process works? Because yeah, I think that's very interesting, particularly if you've never gone through from start to finish. Right, right. So, and and that's sort of evolved over the years. It, it's you know, and, and it changes really from year to year, almost not not drastically, but sort of evolves as we go. Every 
piece of or the beginning of every single job really starts with with me talking to the homeowner and us gathering information, obviously. And ultimately, I sit down with the homeowners and, and I'll just start to doodle. I'll pull up their site and I might start with like the living area or something. And mm-hmm. like here, here's kind of a kitchen and a family room that you were describing. And I'll, I'll doodle something out and they'll be like, well, I don't I don't really like that because I like to have my coffee here and or I, I, I don't like that view over there or whatever the case may be. And I kind of shift things around and and then I'll draw a breakfast room and then I'll draw a dining room and I'll just keep maneuvering and shifting. And then, you know, uh, the owner's suite and then so on and so forth and kind of draw like live in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately um, at the end of that session or sometimes it's two or three sessions, but at the end of that, we have a game plan. It's really rough. It's not like a great you know, like scale drawing, but it just, it shows where all the rooms will be located. And going back to the site, like we were thinking about like, how does this work with the topography? How does this work with the views and the sunlight and so on and so forth? And we've, we've come up with a really good game plan, the base of how that will kind of go to the next level and start to get put into the computer. Okay. So that, that's step one. And then step two, well, there's a little abbreviated piece where ultimately I, when I draw live for a client, it's very overwhelming for them. Like it's a lot of things at one time. So we allow them to have some breathing room with those drawings. And so they might come back three weeks later and we meet again. And in the meantime, I've done a little bit of homework just to kind of scale it out and put it on the side and put some room sizes on there and some square footage. And then ultimately we have a recap of what we started with. Okay. And so we go through it and most of the time we kind of go through it and stay in a straight line and mold and shift. And sometimes once the client has sat on it for a few weeks, they're like, you know what? I, I told you I was going to, I wanted this room here, but we've talked about it. I don't even want that room at all, or it has to be on the front of the house. Or okay. So once we have that recap meeting, that's when I bring in my team. So my team comes in, we all sit down, we go through everything. So it's kind of like a recap slash kickoff meeting. And, and my team generally consists of with each project. So I'll have sometimes two project managers on it, and then I'll have a drafter as well. Okay. So the team is established. We all are in a room with the homeowner together going through that initial phase. And then at the end of that meeting, if we all feel good, then that's when we put it in our system and the project managers start getting it plugged in to the computer. And then we get it into 3D modeling, which wasn't around when you Mm -hmm. drew your house. So um, then it goes to the next phase. So at that point, again, the project manager set up like a, a clean a preliminary plan. They set up 3D modeling. And once we meet again on day one, so the first time the homeowner ever really sees a first draft, which by the way, they already know what they're going to get because I sketched it live. Right. So they know where all the rooms are going to be, mm-hmm. but it's kind of in a different phase. So day one of that, that we walk them through the house in 3D. It's super That's rough. amazing. And it's awesome. It's come a long way. Yeah. It's really cool. But but it's rough. Like it's not their exact finishes. There's not like crown molding or baseboard or anything. It's just like here's the the spatial recognition of this room, so that you kind of know where you yeah. are. Because not everybody looks at two D plans all day and understands what that feels like, right? Yeah. So we walk them through those spaces, and so I'll kind of like toggle between two D and three D the entire time. And and you've seen it. I'll, I'll I'll make markups with a red pen, and and we'll just much like the first meeting, we might shift some rooms around and pivot on some things and ultimately come up with a set of red lines. And then we do it all over again. They, they disappear for a few weeks. We present them with another drawing. We meet, we sit down, we mark it up again. And then we just keep doing that back and forth throughout the entire process. And so that's the beginning stage, right? Or that's mm-hmm. the middle stage. And then ultimately at the end, when once everybody feels good about the drawings, then we go into finals 
which ultimately is all the documentation, the cross sections, the notes, the framing details. And, and then we finalize and send it to the engineer after that. The 3D process is, um, it's just an amazing thought. So um, I look at a lot of plans in 2D all the time. So, right. you know, um, talking about my work, we have lots of offices all over the country. A lot of those offices, we either remodel, we may merge them, we may move them, we have de novos. And so we have to get the plans correct. And there is a lot of how you process patients is really based on how the office is laid out. Right, so of getting really comfortable with the way the flow and the way things work. I, I see a lot of plans in, in 2D. Um, sometimes they'll send the 3D renderings, which are not the same. Um, and I'm like, hey, I don't need that. I need the 2D one because I can I can see it in space looking at the 2D, but not everybody can. Right. right? Absolutely. Most people can't. And so what's really neat is that there are things, though, that if you're walking a client through in the two dimension, they won't catch some of the things that they're going to be annoyed by later. Right. 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 Um, and so having the 3D is just really, really, uh, really interesting. You know, we went through this process with this house and uh, Kate and I were probably like really fast on the mm -hmm. this is what this is what we like. Man, we don't like that. Here's what we got to think about. Right. Right. And. After living here, you would kind of think, man, what did I miss, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. There have been literally only two things in this entire place that we thought That's we great. looked at and thought, hmm, if we had seen it in 3D, we may have done it differently. Yeah. One of them, oddly enough, was the swing on a door. Really? <laughs> yeah. Man. Um, and so, you know, you don't catch it when you're doing it. We didn't yeah. catch it when the builder was here. But after using it for a while, you're like, man, that yeah, door needs to swing the other way. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. <laughs> and those are things now, the process, we, we, I mean, we walk through every, it's almost like a video game. Like yeah. you can go in and walk through every single room and we, we play around with flow and, and sight line. And yes, homeowners can visualize things a lot better, but quite frankly, even me and our team can like, like you look at a sight line and you're like, oh, this, that, that window in that door doesn't really line up how I want. Like I want that wall to be super intentional. Like everywhere I turn. I want, I want uh, that to be intentional. Mm -hmm. So I turn this way and look and like what's there and what pulls me that way. And then is that door like off center or is, can I improve that sight line? And that that's that's hugely beneficial when you can walk through in, in 3D. That's awesome because people may not realize how important that is. They Because some of it's subconscious, right? Like it, you kind of walk into a room and you're like, this feels good. Or you don't know there's why. something that yeah. doesn't feel right. And you don't know exactly what it is. So being able to catch those things is, right. is amazing. It's those things. It's those little things of just lining things up and making the rooms feel scaled properly that, that make the huge difference. And I always think that it's, you know, it's subconscious, as you said. I mean, you can walk in a space. I do it myself and I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel good. And then mm -hmm. you walk into another room, you're like, man, this feels, I don't know what it is, but right. that feels awesome. Right. That feels great, you know? Which actually makes me think about the difference between interior design and um, the process that we're talking about now mm -hmm. and where they start and stop. Yeah. Because there's got to be elements in the actual design of the space Mm -hmm. That influence where you go from for an interior design or the soft things, right? Absolutely. And so, how do you think about that? So, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, for and this is one of this is a piece of our evolution with Fraser Home Design, which is really interesting. That's because we're in the middle of this right now. But for years, what we would do is obviously make assumptions on the interiors, 
But ultimately, we would we Fraser Home Design draws, you know, of course, the floor plans and all the flow and sight lines and everything that I mentioned. And of course, the exterior would dimension every quarter of the inch of the exterior and take out all the materials and everything. Mm-hmm. But then an interior designer comes in. We a lot of times at the end of the project, and we right. kind of hand off and don't communicate that much. And they design the interiors. They go with the homeowner and pick out the countertops and the appliances and the colors, of course, and a lot of times trim and things. Mm-hmm. And that that works well a lot of times. But to kind of go where we want to go as a company and be, again, thoughtful, intentional, I knew that we had to be involved in the interior process. So recently, I teamed up with Noble Studio Interiors and moved them into our office. They're, they're a team oh, wow. of five. Okay. And the idea is they won't necessarily work on like every one of our projects. They're a separate company and they, they still work with other architects and other builders. And we still work with other interior designers, but ultimately formed this partnership because we had this commonality, this theme of, of being super thoughtful and super intentional, yeah. right? And so the idea is that their team would be involved with projects from the very beginning. And in with me while I'm like hand sketching with a homeowner, just get just understanding the client like from the very beginning. And what's really cool is they start shaping up their plan like in the very beginning stages and it allows us all to look at every wall and every sight line and everything together. And then like what what can we do to improve this space? Or and and they look at it from a different perspective, or they might hear something a little different from the client than the way that I hear it mm-hmm. and want to pull. A, an emotion out of a room a little differently than I would have, right? And so again, we like collaborate on all of that, and um, sort of the silver lining or the icing on the cake is that because we're in 3D now, they can do their full vision board like they would normally do. But then we can take that oh. and put that back into 3D, and that's not like the whole thing. The, the real thing is the collaboration. But, sure. but that again, icing on the cake is this 3D modeling where they can then see these 3D images with their selections. Instead of just seeing like a vision board, you know, with a yeah, bunch of things yeah, yeah. laid on top of each other, whether it's physical or digital, now they can see it. And we've gone, we've gone a step further kind of going down into 3D land of where they can put on VR goggles and walk inside and feel what? the space. I know it's a whole different – this has all evolved in the past two years, but the interior piece has really just started to evolve in the last couple months. Oh, that that's amazing. So first of all, um, I, I've got to come to the office and see the space. Yeah, man. But I got to put on the VR goggles and, and, have to. and explore. Like That's pretty awesome. Do you get seasick? No. Perfect. No. Come on in. Rock solid. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> We've had people not experience seasickness like with them on, but you know, when you when you watch somebody else doing it, it's on the screen, it looks like yeah. a little sort of jagged and, and jumbled, you know? And so we've had some people like, I, I think I need to step out of the room. But but man, when I walk through a 3D model with, with a client, it happens a lot that they go, you know what, this room feels tight feels a little small and I'm like, it's 30 by 30 and it's 12 foot ceiling. It's not small. <laughs> but then you put on the, the 3D goggles and you're like, oh, now, now I get it. Like yeah. you're in the, you are physically in the room and you feel the space and it makes such a difference. You know, 3D again is great for spatial recognition and understanding like, oh, that's what I see when, I, when I'm at my island. I see the staircase over there. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. But you can't get the, a, a feel like of the scale yeah. until you put the VR goggles on. That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. And and I love the the element. And you know, it's it, it was not a plan. We did not talk about this uh beforehand, but it's kind of how my mind works, right? Like you've got the elements of interior design and when you're thinking about interior design, there's soft things, right? Like you you've got your you've got your rug, you've got your sofa. Yeah. But there are other things that uh could be 
important to the way the room functions. So, right. you know, we talked uh, um, earlier about, you know, we have a podcasting uh, studio here, but because this is something I like, I think I'm going to try to do it for an extended period of time. I want to have a space that's really purpose yeah. for that. But, um, you know, you would think that the wall materials would be different. And you would think about placement of of elements like doors differently because of trying to control the sound. And right. so when you in the traditional process, you would you might not think about I'm not going to be using normal drywall until you got to the builder and started that process, right. which right. may be a little late because there could be things that you want to change about the way the room is designed Absolutely. to allow for that non-traditional wall covering. Absolutely. And, and that's what happens a lot of times as you get the house framed an interior designer comes in a little bit before that but then you kind of have to like make things work whereas when you do it in the very beginning and things are still very pliable you're you're able to manipulate and and, and again especially in you know when, when we can see it in 3d and we work with an interior designer is you you think about every wall and and not mm -hmm. only you know i think the difference between like a decorator and an interior designer is an interior designer is not only thinking about that wall and what that looks like but how do you want to feel in this room, mm -hmm. you know, like almost like designing for wellness in a lot of cases, right? Like That's I right. want that room, you want that to be your cozy room. All right, let's pull these colors out of it. Let's think about this light coming in. Let's do these details. And and when we collaborate on that, I think we're able to, to be the most successful because the architecture team is thinking about it from a different perspective, potentially than the interior designer and, and vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're kind of working together and collaborating again from the beginning. And yeah. so Noble does that really well. And Kate Haynes has a, a lot of the same sort of philosophies that I do on design. And we, we meshed really well, you know, when we started working together and like this, this just feels, it feels really good and intentional. That's, that's where we want to go. So that's incredible. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we're going down that road. It's pretty cool. Wow. Timing is everything. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. As you've gone through your journey of now drawing and kind of getting, making things your own, are there signature elements that you tend to repeat in in homes? I, I think that's a leading question, artist potentially. <laughs> <laughs> and I struggle with this. I struggle with this because I I'm certainly early on, right? Like again, I, I told you I kind of went down the rabbit hole of English arts and crafts mm -hmm. architecture, which has a lot of peaks, a lot of swoops, a lot of window towers. And yeah. that's just what I was like, man, this is really cool. Yeah. I'm going to try to work in a window tower, even in a French style house, <laughs> right? Like how can I, how can I pull all these elements together? And, and, you know, I, I struggle with it because like, you know, you think of like Picasso or something, you can see one of his, one of his designs from a mile away. Right. Right. But I'm designing for homeowners, you know, so I'm designing for them. It's not for me. So I like to think that we can pivot at any time and design any style, and we do. We we design all sorts of different styles all throughout the country. And I don't know. I try to always like add a little bit of something where you know that it's Fraser Home Design, but yeah. but also try to take the ego out of it and make it about the homeowner. The interesting thing of that as well is a lot of homeowners are coming to us for those elements. Like we love everything you draw. We want that vibe. And and some of them are kind enough to say like we want it to feel like a Fraser Home Design yeah. house. You yeah. Know? So. It's very rewarding, but but I do struggle with that. <laughs> it's a legitimate question because I think we fell on the side of, wow, we really like some of the elements. Yeah. Um, who did this, right? And yeah. then you, we come and we find you and we're like, hey, we like this thing. We like that thing. And you're like, 
cool. Let's put that in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is it is very interesting to drive around Raleigh and um, and see homes, and you can you can with some certainty say. Frazier Home Design right. um, had right. something to do with this this home, right? Because yeah. there are these things that you see yeah. um, in, in the elements. Are there favorites? Um, you, you mentioned the window tower, which yeah. there are some amazing window towers in this neighborhood, I got to right. tell you. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're a little saturated in this neighborhood. <laughs> so, and as I keep saying the word evolution, like we, we've evolved so much as a company. And I think initially... It was kind of like, hey, I want to do all this cool stuff, and and maybe we were a little bit more like flamboyant, for lack of a better mm. word, with things. Yeah, and and I wanted to kind of show off a little bit and and do some cool stuff and have people go like, oh my god, look at that house, yeah. you know, and 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 I don't know, maybe I've gotten a little bit more humble or just intentional, or I, I keep saying intentional and thoughtful, and that's kind of where I want to go, but but really the core of what. I want and where we're going as a company is I want to design things that have like a like timeless bones and mm-hmm. structure and proportion and scale and maybe add like a little bit of modern sort of influence and flair to it I where you can that. see like a little bit of something. Mm-hmm. But I want it, I think certainly early on in my career when I was in the flamboyant stage, I don't know that you'll look at those houses in, in you know, 50 years and and say, well, that's that's timeless. Like that still stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they do. But certainly where we're going now as a company, and you can see it. If you go to our portfolio and kind of look down the timeline of things, you can see a shift where we've just we've become a lot more concentrated on scale and 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 the humble approach to mm-hmm. architecture, where I don't feel like I need to throw as much at it anymore. Like I want to get the materials right, and and again get the scale and the proportion right, and be just. I want to kind of think about each piece in a way like how does this pay um, respect to the original intent of architecture when it started versus just my interpretation of it. I, I think that's fair. I mean, there is something to be said for uh, for subtle branding um, right. and maybe Easter eggs, yeah, right? There you go. Um, and I think uh, in some of the more recently designed homes, you you you're right. I look at them and I and I see. Very, very nice proportions. They make me feel good um, because you look at it and you go, nothing's um, out of place, right? But you may be walking up the front stairs and get onto uh, the stoop and look up and you're like, oh, he had to draw that, right? right. Because there's this thing that's right. there. Right. Um, and so, and I, and I think that's great. Thanks, buddy. Well, I think that's great, right? Yeah. Um, because it's not taking away from the overall design of the home, uh, but it's giving you something that's a little bit special, right? And really reminds you that this is this is a custom home that was drawn by a real live human being. It wasn't just yeah. created out of space, right? Yeah. Well said. Um, and that there should be something, uh, just like an artist who's signing their signature, yeah. that belongs to the person who helped to draw. I love the home. that. I love that. And you know, one of the other pieces of the evolution of the design was, again, I was sort of getting more comfortable with ourselves and not feeling like we needed to show off. But fortunately, you know, we started to see other designers that were kind of like doing that as as well. And it was kind of cool. Like, you know, I'd get people like, mm. hey, did you, doesn't quite look like one of yours, but did you draw that? I'm like, no, I, I didn't, but that, that's so cool. It's like, what, what a neat thing Yeah. to yeah. like, sort of, and, and again, Dixon Kirby started it for me. So I right. can't claim that I did anything, right? But it's so cool to sort of make a presence in Raleigh from this kid that started out of his house in 2007 and just kind of worked hard and built up and then 
in, in the sea of other people that were so talented and then look around and go like, man, there's a lot of houses that are kind of like emulating where we were going with that movement. And, and so I, I want to, I want to be better, right? Yeah. Like, I want to keep going. I'm no, like, I don't want to look sense. like that anymore. Yeah. Like, I'll yeah. dip into that. And then when people come out of state and want, like, the Fraser Home Design special, we, we do it. <laughs> but I try not to do it as much here because, we're, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot of them. So yeah. I, I want to make sure that we kind of move to the next level. And, and really the, the best way, and I learned this from the teachers that I mentioned earlier, the indirect teachers, is that they are doing things that, that are very – thoughtful with material and scale and proportion. And and that's where I wanted to go, where we're not showing off. We're just, we're sort of evoking the emotion of not like, I want that, but I want to be in that, or I want to know what's inside. I want to, I want to feel that space versus like, that looks cool. I want that, you know? And, and I, and I think that makes sense. I mean, if, if we kind of look at it globally and just kind of think about throughout time, there've been periods of time where um, homes shared a tremendous number of details right right, right. and you know we can look at it and say oh that's a victorian or like you could just kind of say these homes are in these categories because they share all these details right um and sometimes those details are, are shared in a relatively tight geography right and so I, I i do think that um you know 25 30 years from now there will be a group of homes in raleigh that will be part of the era right, right. um right. and people who are moving to town will likely be able to think, wow, this is one of those homes that was designed yeah. by um, by Fraser Home That's Design really cool. in this area. It's era, right? Yeah. And so I think it's really cool. I don't want you to stop hiding things. Thanks, I, like, I want you to pop things Thank in there you. because it makes it fun. You had teased with music earlier. Yeah. I, I kind of go into my head with, with music and, and I, I, I'm 43, so 80s hair metal was a thing for me. <laughs> and when you think about that music, it was very like exactly what the time needed, right? Like yeah. it was very flamboyant and in your face and direct to a certain extent. But but know that, you know, when when that sort of that that need for that type of feeling went away into the grunge era, that stuff just was gone in seconds. Yeah. And I think about that with our business, right? Like right now that's really, really popular to do that style. And so I, I look at it and go, like, I don't want to be this like giving everybody exactly what they want over and over and over again for this one little piece yeah. of time. I want to back up a little bit. That's fair. And I want to yeah. think about things from a larger perspective it's to be sustainable, yeah. right? And so I want to kind of keep that going and getting into the entrepreneurial side, by the way, I I also do that with business where I am, I never want to stay stagnant. I never want to get to a point where I'm going like, this is easy. Like, yeah, this is how we're going to do this. Let's just kind of coast. Like I'm always pushing and going to the next level continuously yeah. with, with the business and so many different arenas of the business. And, and as, as I mentioned earlier, it was, we were a whole different company than like when we drew this house and, mm -hmm. and hopefully in another two years, we'll be a different company. It just keeps evolving and, and, and design is a big piece of that. Like it's, it's the entrepreneurial side and the design side that hopefully continue to evolve and stay in a current space. And and I think those those are the types of elements that make you successful, even in those periods uh, when the faucets turned. Right, right. right. And so um, being able to think about it from all of those, uh, from all of those dimensions, I really think is, uh, is very, very interesting. Right. How do you think about remodels or uh, renovations or additions when you're starting with someone else's design? So it's funny that you say that the easy thing for us when we got busy was to say, you know what, we don't we don't do renovations anymore mm -hmm. because it was like generally renovations they're 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 
they're really fun, but they're they're challenging, and you're somewhat like limited, right? And and um, you know, it, was, it wasn't really where we wanted to go as a company. So when things like all started just flooding in, and and we we had all this recognition, it was like what from an entrepreneurial standpoint, mm-hmm. like what what's the easy thing just to kind of cut away? Yeah. So we don't do a lot of renovations anymore. It's only just you know past clients or houses that we have drawn, or sometimes a builder. Will talk me into it. It's like, hey man, it's a really easy one. Come on, and it always, I'm telling Famous you, last words. It's every really time it snowballs. <laughs> right, it's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. every time. Yes, yeah. every time. We are familiar. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot let you go though without talking about this guitar playing. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So you mentioned uh, '80s music. When did you pick up guitar to start? So I, I started, I got a guitar for Christmas in 1991. Okay. And, you know, it was the era of grunge at, at the time, you know, so like grunge is really big. So I got really, really into Nirvana and Soundgarden and, and really it came about because there's a group of kids, I lived in this neighborhood, we got all these kids, we, we grew up there our entire lives together. Mm-hmm. And there was a group of four boys that, that I hung out with most of the time and we decided we wanted to start a band, but we didn't know how to play instruments. And so we all kind of, I don't know that we drew straws, but we kind of like went around and like, what do you want to play? What do you want to play? And then so two of us were got guitars and, uh-huh. and his parents were kind enough to give him lessons. And so we got guitars, he would take lessons and then he would come back and like teach me oh, what he cool learned. Oh, how cool is that? It's super cool. So he'd spend the night and then like, you know, the next day I would know a Nirvana song or something. <laughs> so, so that kind of like, you know, built up a, a little bit over time in the grunge area. And then I kind of went into an acoustic thing and then was in, in bands, you know, in school and not, nothing big, nothing crazy. But I was going to be a rock star, I was pretty sure. But um, <laughs> I started drawing or yeah. I kept drawing and drawing went a lot farther. Now, do you sing guitar. too? Or you... I don't really sing, but I, I play, you know, guitar is my thing. That's awesome. So yeah. I played saxophone um, as my formal instrument, but I ended up playing quite a few things. So um, I did a little French horn. I did um, nice. uh, a little um, oboe. I did uh, contra bass. All the mainstream that. stuff. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> all the things that um, that people clamor to do <laughs> and to hear are the things that I that I played. Love it, but it was neat because you you end up that part of your brain is is just different than the part of or for me. I do my day to day is not that side of my brain, right? And so I recently decided I'm going to get my saxophone back out. Nice, um, nice. And um, if you if you see Cade, he'll um, he's going to pick on me because I also have decided that I want to learn to play cello. Nice, I like it. <laughs> and I like it. I don't know how that works as an adult, but I got a cello. And um, I have it, and um, when we finish this room, I'm going to put the cello in the room, and the saxophone's going to be in the room, great, and, man. Um, I and I'm going to learn to play uh, yeah. the cello. So you should so take we'll lessons. See. You should take well, some lessons from you know there'll be a line of kids, and then you're like at the end of the line, and then you go in, and then that's what I'm worried about. Like there's got to be <laughs> there's got to be some remote option for at least beginning cello lessons because I got to go in like I know something, right? Like I can't come into the place I've never yeah, learning to put the thing could, together. You I had, you have to because when they ship them, they're not actually fully assembled, right. so you got to put this. Thing. So you. YouTube with so, your friend. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm going to put this thing together. It's going to be great. And then I'm going to learn to 
pluck it and I've got my bow and I've had to learn about all the stuff you use to right. put on the bow. Right. And um, I'm going to learn to play Hot Cross Buns because, you there know, you that's the most important song ever. Once I've done that, then I'll think about actually going somewhere. <laughs> so um, a little tidbit here. So I, I, I inherited my grandparents' piano, I think, when I was 26 or seven or something. And um, I didn't know how to play. And I felt obligated once I got the piano. So of course. when I was a, a kid, my, my buddy up the street, his mom taught piano lessons. And so kids would kind of cycle in and out in the afternoons at the house. And so I called her up and I said, hey, I really want to learn piano. And so I would just, I would do just that. Like I would show up at, you know, 530 and there's like some kid finishing it, an eight-year-old finishing it. And I would come in and then at the end of the year, we'd have a recital and it would be me and then a bunch of eight to 12-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bunch of smiling parents, and then and then I'd bring then you know you... my wife, and then and then have like a group of friends, and one of them, like guys, come check me out at this recital. It's a big deal, and then they would be the kids would be better than me, you know. Oh, so everybody's thing. expecting a concerto, and you're yeah. busy playing Mary that, Had a Little Lamb. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. got it. <laughs> that's exactly how that went. <laughs> well, Tony, is there any advice you would give someone who is really thinking about? either starting their own business or if they were thinking about entering your field? So um, I'll, I'll zoom out a little bit and think about just business in general. One, you have to really, really love what you do. And you have to be, especially if you're starting a bit like on your own, mm -hmm. right? Like you have to love what you do. You are not going to work less when you start your business than you did when you were working for somebody. <laughs> you were going, it is going to be painful and you're going to grind and you have to be willing to work through all of that pain and you ha in the end you have to love it otherwise you'd be crazy right so right. you have to love what you do and push and always you know continuously evolve i've seen a lot of companies fail because they they just sat and said i'm good where where i mm. am so be prepared to never settle down and always feel that that something's chasing you and you want to continually get better and improve and and love it right yeah. so I really, really thank you for uh, spending the time. This has been great. Yeah, man, it has been great. Thanks for having me here. And I'm really serious about coming to the office. Like, I, you've got toys. I like toys, so I kind of want to play in, with buddy. them. Okay. Pop on some goggles. It'll be awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and if you enjoyed this show, make sure to check out other episodes and subscribe so you don't miss any of our special guests. And don't forget to rate the podcast and tell your friends. As always, thanks for spending part of your day with us. And until next time, this has been Uncommonly Remarkable. Thank you.